You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year, a comedy podcast looking back at this week in history. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Amazon Music, Podbean, iHeartRadio, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. If you want to follow us on social medias or message us with some suggestions for worst ever segments, you can do that over on Facebook or Instagram using TWWWBLY. Hey, welcome back to Twibbly, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, if you like me like I like a you and we like a both the same, it's Mr. Jeff McLaughlin. <laughs> Where is that from? That's the song that Steve Martin and Bernadette Peters are oh, singing. Oh, that's right. Yeah, in The Jerk. No, no, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. That's not the song that they're singing in The Jerk. That's the song... That him and Miss Mahilma yeah. are singing in the Man with Two Brains. Oh, okay. All right. I thought maybe yep. it was it was also it could have been the one where Bill Murray was singing to Roxanne and Meatballs too. And Meatballs? Nah. Who's Roxanne and Meatballs? She was the other camp counselor that Bill Murray was infatuated with. I have no idea who played her. Some Canadian lady. There has to be a compilation like list out there of all the silly songs that people sang in 1980s movies like yes, that. There's so, got to be. If not, we should yeah. we should encourage someone to make one and then send us the link to yeah. it. Like the one I like is um I know Chevy Chase sang it and I, I think it's Caddyshack. He's like I was born yep. to love you. I was born to lick your face. Yes, that's that's definitely him from Caddyshack. Yes, when he's playing piano. Born to rub you. But you were born to rub me first. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes, yes. So what's going on? Uh, uh, you know, uh, things are good. My health is uh, seems to be improving. The last couple of conversations I've had with my my team of medical professionals have all been good. So I got that going for me, which buoys my mood and makes it easier for me to get into the, uh, you know, like middle November spirit. Yeah, that's also good, too, because lots of my friends always ask me, hey, how's Jeff doing? It's like people that have never met you, but they know right. you for the show, so that's cool. I seem to be doing better. I had a, like I said, I had a good, a good couple of meetings with my cardiologist team, and and all things are, all things are going in the way that they should. That's good. Yes. I, as of this recording, have not been to the gym in a couple of weeks because in real life I'm still in the middle of my hectic schedule, so I haven't had the time or energy to get to the gym, and then. I took a week off from my 40-hour job just so I could relax and, like, have some time to myself. Right. And then when I returned to work, I came down with a cold. (laughs) Oh, that sucks, man. I'm sorry. Yeah. So, like, this whole past week, I, you know, I've been fighting a cold at work. Lucky for me, my work has been kind of where I can sit down in my office Mm -hmm. and not have to, like, walk around a lot, just... Not have to expend energy. I could just work on programs. So that's been my week this week. So that's been pretty good. And I've been going to bed at like 7. 
just like drinking NyQuil, going to bed at seven. It's funny, you know, I haven't been ill, but I have also had the urge to crawl into bed really early for me, like 8.30, 9 o'clock. Maybe I'm getting to the point now where I'm old because I wake up every morning at five and I can't get back to sleep. Oh and, my God, and now waking I up at five is like sleeping in for me now, now. Yeah, now I can't, I can't stay too much awake past 9.30. It's very sad, kids. It'll happen to you someday <laughs> in the future. That I I don't want to say I'm getting old. I hate those those phrases. Mm-hmm. But ever since the pandemic, man, I I started going to bed early during the pandemic because staying up late for the sake of staying up late didn't make any sense to me. So I just started going to bed early, and right. then I never broke myself out of that habit during the week. It's rare that I'm up beyond uh, beyond nine o'clock. Right. Yeah, well, it's it's a lot like that for me during the weekend. In the in the weekends, I wake up early just so I could lay in bed and listen to C-SPAN. I am old. Gosh, Bill. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no! Oh no! no, I'm realizing it now. Soon it'll just be oatmeal and Matlock. You know what's funny is I listen to a lot of kind of news-ish or news-adjacent programs. Yes. At work, you know, as podcasts, or you know, in Bluetooth headphones and stuff like that. But this past week, when I was on vacation, I didn't listen to any of them. It was great. Ah, take a break. I listened to yeah. uh, I listened to Washington Journal, the unvarnished uh, American call-in show on C-SPAN every morning. It's, I've listened to it at your house. It's, it's something. Funny. It's something else. I I figured out how they picked the host because there's a different host almost every day for that show among a group of people that work for C-SPAN. And I, th- yeah. I think it's like this. There's this round table. It's like five in the morning because the show starts at seven. Everybody's there. Yep. Brian Lamb, the man who founded C-SPAN, walks out with a manila envelope. And everybody looks at him and he says, here's today's topic. What he ends up doing is he opens up the envelope and then drops it and runs out of the room. That's what I would do. Uh, and then, the, <laughs> and, then they, and everybody fights to get out of the room. And the last one stuck in the room, they have to host the show. <laughs> All right. So before we get too deep into the political weeds, which is a no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. We're going to get on with the show, but I do have my very popular and always well-received trivia question. Hey, Jeff. Oh, man. Here we go. This is going to be something we discuss later in the show, too. So I'll have to skate around the answer when we get there. Right. But in the late 80s and early 90s, there was a phenomenon known as box sets. Yes. Where artists would release, like, you know, a five CD set of greatest hits or what have you. Right. What was the first box set to be released? By whom and what was it called? Ah. Hey, hmm. Well, at the end of the show, we can, we can talk about That is a good one. Because there's a lot of different yep. ways I can think of to answer it. So we'll, uh, right. we'll answer it at the end of the show. With some right. questions that precede my answer. Oh, of course. <laughs> All right. This is the week beginning, November the 27th. And it is your turn to start. Ah. And on November 27th, this time, we begin with a celebrity birthday, Bill. Okay. It seems to have been the case for us for a while now, for first things, now that I think about it. Yep. 1940, November 27th, Bruce Lee is born. He's a Chinese-American martial artist, for those of you who don't know, but I can't imagine anybody doesn't. He went on to break the sort of Asian stereotype barrier on American TV, and then effectively brought martial arts cinema to the United States in the 1970s with his film Enter the Dragon. Probably the most influential martial arts film star still in the history of the industry. And oh, like synonymous. 
Yeah. Like, you say Bruce Lee and you think martial arts films. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you certainly aren't thinking Bruce Lee and you're thinking, like, romance. Great romance guy. It's not, that's yeah. not what's there. It's, it's... You say Bruce Lee, you don't think, hey, didn't he play Kato, the Green Hornet sidekick? <laughs> yeah, he did. Uh, yeah, I know, but that's not what you think oh, of. Oh, no, that, that's not what you think of. But that, it's funny that you bring that up, because that was his introduction to the American audiences, was playing that character on TV before he went off to Hong Kong to make The Big Boss, which was his first feature film for the Shaw Brothers. So right. it, the story of that film is pretty interesting. There are two leads, Bruce Lee and another guy. The Shaw Brothers weren't sure which one of them was going to be the star of the film. Until they were in the middle of shooting and they're like, it's Bruce Lee. And that's the guy that ended <laughs> up making other films for the Shaw Brothers as the lead actor and not this other guy who was became like a kind of a second banana to him in some features as well. And then went off and did more <laughs> traditional like guys with the long mustache and hair jumping around in the trees type kung fu movies. Like, I mean, then the Jackie Chan movies were coming out. Now, I'm not going to say at the same time, but like a, he kind of replaced Bruce Lee when Bruce Lee uh, passed away. Jackie Chan actually acted with Bruce Lee in one film. He was a stunt guy oh. in Enter the Dragon. And if you watch the scenes where um, Bruce Lee's fighting like in the underground jail, Jackie Chan is one of yep. the guys that he fights with. Oh, okay, so there was a, there was an overlap. There, there. was okay. a little bit of an overlap, yeah. And, and and after Bruce Lee passed away, where every studio in Hong Kong tried to make a kind of a Bruce Lee knockoff, Jackie Chan started his real film career as a star making knockoff Bruce Lee films until he started directing his own and, and introduced humor into his storytelling. All right. Very good. Moving on to November the 28th, 1922, Captain Cyril Turner of the Royal Air Force gives the first public exhibition of skywriting in the United States of America. <laughs> cool. Yeah, any, Which idea, is, any idea what he wrote? Oh, yeah, I do, but I just want to back up for a second because that's very oddly worded. The public exhibition. How can you have a private <laughs> exhibition of skywriting? Yeah, exactly. You know what? You need special polarized lenses to see the, the, the Don't letters. Don't look, you son of a bitch, unless you're paying for it. Right, right. That's, yeah. that's going to be a dollar for every blink. So, at any rate, uh, what he wrote was, Hello, USA. Call Vanderbilt 7200 uh, huh. over New York's Times Square. So that's the old telephone extensions. Yes. Before we had the seven-digit, now 10-digit phone numbers. Correct. There would be a, uh, a two-letter code and then the four-digit number. Yes. So I don't know what Vanderbilt 7200, I don't know what that phone number was for, but it had to be some sort of like a, a hotline for some sort of business or whatever it was. <laughs> when you dial it, it said, oh, we've been looking for you about your auto warranty <laughs> for people who had a you know Model T. Have you ever seen skywriting? Because that's like a weird kind of almost dead art form. You know, it's funny. When we when we talked about doing this one, I racked my brain to think if I had ever seen skywriting. And I don't think I have other than in the movies or on television. We did. I remember seeing it when we were kids. Like we were talking about before the show, I said I couldn't remember for the life of me what it was. But as we're talking now, I remembered what it was. It was an advertisement for Tootsie Rolls. The guy just wrote Tootsie Roll in the sky. Yeah. <laughs> it's, maybe he was just a pilot that had like a weird form of Tourette syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> no, it didn't say Tootsie go <laughs> yourself roll. It, said, it just said Tootsie Roll. <laughs> he could have rolled like Surrender Dorothy. That would have been something. Right. But, uh, at any rate, yeah, skywriting is kind of like a weird niche thing that they don't really do anymore. I guess there's a lot of effort and little payoff. 
and it doesn't last very long. It only right. lasts like maybe ten. Like whenever the guy wrote Tootsie Roll, I remember by the time he got to the second L, the T was already kind of like fading out a little right, bit. Right, 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 right. I know now if you go like up here in New Hampshire to the to Hampton Beach in the summertime, you see the planes that are dragging a sign behind them. Constantly, Constantly yes. Constantly, yeah, advertising something or other. But uh, yeah, I can't remember ever seeing skywriting other than, like I said, the you know plane dragging a sign. Like I said, it's kind of like a dying art form. That must take a lot of work and a lot of practice. Yeah, I would think. And some spelling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> it'd be rough if you misspelled something. Oh, my God. And and background checks. Tootsie Roll, R-O-L-E. Well, that was the wrong form of roll. <laughs> you know? The poor audience is like, what does that mean? Does that mean Dustin Hoffman? Is that, I don't understand. Hey, there's supposed to be an O in country, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jeff, move on to the 29th. November 29th, 1993. Bringing us back to our trivia question today. Metallica yes. releases the box set Binge and Purge, which contains three CDs, three videos, and a book. Now, it's... It, yeah, it's, I'm not really big on Metallica, so this isn't really uh, a discussion about Metallica at this point. Well, no, but, but it's clearly not going to be the answer to the question at the end of the show about what the first box set was. But no. in the nineteen late 1980s, right through the, the 1990s until streaming kind of took over, box sets were a big part of the way that the music industry resold existing properties to the same audience that would have bought it before. So they add a bunch of B-sides or they add a bunch of tracks that didn't make it to the final cut of the album or a live version or some other thing to make it palatable to buy another set of music from a band that you may already have their catalog already but because there's another revenue stream that's something that they can do you know what's funny i was thinking of like while we're talking about all this i was like eh, i wasn't really a box set person and then i'm going through in my head how many box sets i own and i own a bunch <laughs> you own a bunch i know you have the uh yeah yeah the I, I have i have the well the thing was like there were certain groups that I didn't own a lot of their music, but that was like a great way to get a lot of their music all at once. Yeah. So I have I have the Elton John box set, and I have the Monkees box set, and that right. one's autographed by two of them, right? Uh, Peter Tork and Mickey Dolans, and then. I have the Misfits box set, which was ideal because a lot of the Misfits stuff wasn't available on CD up until the box set was released. Oh. So that was uh, a good buy. And then somebody gave me the Alice Cooper box set for Christmas. Oh, and I have the Pink Floyd box set too. The the only one and, that I have, and it's, yep. it's a box set of cassettes, is The Police. That's it. Oh, I have that one too. Yep, <laughs> that's the only one I have. I'm I'm not a box set guy. I'm a yeah. like original release album guy. Give it, give me the track well, order in the original order, and I'm happy. Yeah, the police box set was there. The entire catalog, it was yeah. everything they had. Yes, the Pink Floyd box set. There wasn't really anything special about it, other than there was like 24 bit remasters of. It was like full albums. It right. wasn't like a best of. It was. I think it was like eight albums. It was called Shine On. Yep. I remember getting it really, really cheap. It was expensive. It was like a, like you would see it for as much as like $150, $180. Right. I got it for like a song. I think I got it for like $90 on sale somewhere. Right, right. 
I mean, the remastering is always part of the of the packaging, but it's it's the things that come with it, the books and the you know the magazines and posters and again yeah, the, all the, the records full of yeah the records good parts that have all the special tracks that weren't on the original that that makes them a, really attractive oh jesus i just thought of another one too i have um the pink floyd dark side of the moon immersion box set which had a bu- bunch of different versions including a blu-ray and i don't know if you want to include these Marillion's first eight albums that were on EMI Records all got re-released in kind of like a box set format. Each album, right? They had like the remaster, a remix, a live version, and then a documentary. So I guess those are box sets too. So yeah, for somebody who's not really into box sets, I'm gonna. <laughs> I was just going to say, you know, you started this conversation with I'm not really into box sets, and then you proceeded to list eight minutes of box sets that you, that you own. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I got over a dozen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, well, anyway, I don't know how well the Metallica one did, but I'm sure that it made a zillion million dollars because their fan base is humongous. Yeah, but, I mean, think about the the time frame of this. is 1993. That was, like, just after the Black Album. Right, you know, right before the, the right tel- before they they alienated all their fans. Right, yeah. Somehow they got more popular when they started putting out albums. I don't know how that's a thing, but it, it happened. Mm. Well, they be- so. they became more radio friendly with um with the black album, and again, when you triple your audience or quadruple your audience, that's what's gonna happen. Yeah. After that, it was like, give me fuel, give me fire, give me that which I desire, and all that stuff. Anyway, <laughs> let's uh, <laughs> let's move on to the next day. All right, so November the 30th, 1956, CBS uses an Ampex tape recorder to tape delay the evening CBS news broadcast with Douglas Edwards. <laughs> the name just rolls off the tongues. It doesn't even sound like a real person's name. Yeah, it sounds like a, a character in a movie, right? Right, right. So this uh, newly developed recorder cost about forty-five grand for one-hour tape, which then the tape itself cost three hundred dollars. Oof! They had tested the system like a month before pre-recording a segment for the Jonathan Winter show, but yeah, that's where like the first like use of tape delay actually got used, and I guess it was used because that way they could do the news on the East Coast and on the West Coast, right? So at the time, if you were doing national news, you either had to have a station with a local news presenter in California and one in like Colorado and one in East, uh, Western Ohio and one in somewhere on the East Coast, right? So you could hit each time zone. Yeah. And there may be, it may be the same news, but it's being read by different people or the people in California get their six o'clock news at two o'clock in the afternoon when they're all at work because of the right. time zone change, right? Sure. And and this delay made it possible to reduce all of that to a single nationwide broadcast that could be sent out hour after hour after hour to every time zone so that you could watch national news in your local 6 p.m. time slot, assuming that's the time that the show, that this news would air. 56, I think, was still like 15 minutes of national news, and that's it. Right, um, yeah. And then local news was like, Let's talk about sports and local woman loses cat and tree. But for, for <laughs> stuff like Douglas Edwards in the news, it would be like reports on the Korean War conflict or or Dwight D. Eisenhower or or some other national story. Yeah, it's so weird to think about that kind of technology versus like what we have now. 
Right. You know, the news is instantaneous to a fault. You know, so now, like, the way the news works, they're rushing to get the story out first. Whether it's right or wrong is immaterial as long as they get it out first. And if it's wrong, they'll correct it later. Maybe. Right. Yeah. And they have the ability to correct it later. And in, like, the 24-hour news cycle that we have, you'll see it corrected sometimes minute to minute if you are somebody who spends a lot of time watching live news and analysis of a big event. Generally, that's when it happens. As more information is learned, the news report changes as time goes on. Unlike 1956, right now, because news broadcasts can get all chopped up and uh, snipped down into significantly smaller pieces, and there are hundreds of ways to see them. There's streaming video sites. There's the ones that are owned by the companies themselves. There's the web pages of like national news organizations. There are people who trade them on things like TikTok and... Um, Snapchat. So there's all these different ways for news to be sort of recondensed down and and dispersed that don't rely on that uh, broadcast timing having to take place. It can be immediate. That's like such a weird thing. I want you to picture, you know, TikTok's genuine audience, you know, usually 14 to 24-year-olds. Right. And they're doing their dances and this, that, and the other. Imagine having a TikTok account just so you can follow the national news. Right. What the hell? That, that I don't know. That doesn't seem like... David, I know David Pakman has a TikTok. It's like, okay, I don't know who you're trying to appeal to, but stop it. <laughs> well, I can imagine somebody like, you know, my age going like, well, let's see what's on the C-SPAN TikTok. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, it's a wash. It's a clip from Washington Journal. Perfect. This is just what I needed to make my day even better. I want to see Keith Olbermann doing the latest like viral dance sensation. <laughs> I have a feeling that when he records his podcast, he just screams, and someone <laughs> has to come in and hit him with a stick so that he goes back to the script. <laughs> All right, let's move on to December the first. December the first, twenty thirteen. Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos. I'm pausing on purpose. Reveals that Amazon Prime Air uh, is going to begin to use unmanned aerial vehicles to deliver packages to customers in certain markets. He th- he says this on 60 Minutes, a news show, in 2013. Yeah. Wait, I'm and gonna... the guy on 60 Minutes goes, oh, the devil's asshole. Because that's like 10 years ago now. Yes. That's 10 years ago when we're still waiting, Jeff. What's going on? Well, I think part of the problem is that Nobody did the like cost benefit analysis of that for lost packages, lost drones, drones that get pushed off course by the wind, can't meet things, like uh, obligations. And you're not going to meet the timeline for Prime. Like, there's a zillion reasons I can see that this wouldn't work. Right. Unless you lived, I swear to God, adjacent to an Amazon warehouse. You're talking to somebody that owns a drone and has a drone license and all that stuff. I mean, my drone, I'm, it's too small to be delivering packages, but the battery time on it's only good for like 20 minutes. Right. You know, how much are you going to get done? Right. In 20 minutes. Right. You know, which is only 10 minutes because the drone has to come back. Right. The distance to travel is very short. Even if you have a lot of dispersed like real estate where the drone yep. pilots sort of are and where you have some warehouses, it's... It's still, you're never going to be able to guess what somebody's going to order in a particular neighborhood to have that package close enough to deliver by drone. It just isn't feasible. Also, let's put into the equation, okay, that's going to be free shipping unless you want it dropped off by drone where that's going to be $500. Right, right, right. And you know that like, you know, a couple of years after this, 
he was back on 60 Minutes when, of course, the drone thing didn't happen, and he he was talking about the new the new plan that they were putting in place because he had bought into a whole bunch of like U.S. military surplus to, because the technology is so great that it can be applied to private like private business so quickly, and he was going to use B-52s to carpet bomb cities with packages. <laughs> Stinger missiles just firing. Uh, it was into the it city, was called yeah. Amazon Rolling Thunder. Yeah, Amazon Buzz Bomb. Yeah. <laughs> All right, moving on to December the 2nd. Oh, here's a free, uh, happy little story. <sighs> December the 2nd, 1952, the first human birth televised to the public on KOA-TV Denver, Colorado. And because this is 1952, there was no tape delay. Nope, no tape delay. And I, 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 I find myself wondering like how they, once they decided they were going to do this, there's some yep. there's some person in there and he's like this is going to be great this is going to be your puts us on the map this is going to make what makes our station the greatest station KOA TV they're going to be talking about us for years yep. we're going to we're going to do a live birth like a birth of a human being first time ever like okay when 4:35 o'clock in the afternoon like 4:35 o'clock in the afternoon is when we have the howdy do show on well the howdy <laughs> do show can wait because this is the thing so all of a sudden i can imagine like all these poor kids with their howdy doody hats on in 1952 like i don't like this howdy doody show mom just watch the tv i'm making dinner meanwhile they're watching a kid get a kid get born mom i think flubber dub is crowning <laughs> yeah kukla fran ollie in vagina <laughs> There's a lot of variables here because I know people that went into labor for like 20 hours yeah. and more. You know, so there's a lot of variables there. Also, because this is 1952 and there's no tape delay, uh, there's also no censor delay. And <laughs> right. I have it on good authority that women are prone to say, you motherfucker, <laughs> in the middle of giving birth. Well, I don't know. I think maybe in 52 they were doing the painless thing where they just knocked the women completely out cold like my mom. They gave her so many drugs she was oblivious to the world for like oh, 14 yeah. hours. Ether, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like, oh, that put me to sleep and then I woke up and they handed handed you to me. You were all clean and everything. I was like, really? So I didn't cause <laughs> you any of yeah. things? Yeah. Your first right. steps. Yeah, yeah. I, was, all right. I, was, I was already wearing a shirt. Yeah. <laughs> I remember... Uh, our friend Jim, whenever his wife uh, had their first baby, he looked at her when she came out of the delivery room. He says, "I have no idea how you're even alive at this point." <laughs> yeah, that's that's what it's really like when uh, I witnessed two births, my son, which was very interesting at the time because it was the first one, and then my daughter, yep. where I passed out and threw up because <laughs> I had already seen all the. You know, your brain will shut off if you're watching something you've never seen before. It'll shut off like sure. your your most terrible thing I've ever seen in my entire life button. Yep. And then once you've seen it once and you go back, it's like, oh my good, 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 good heavens. <laughs> and that's that's kind of what it was like with me. What are you doing to my wife? My daughter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Put it back. <laughs> All right, let's wrap up the week. Uh, December 3rd, we have our last celebrity birthday of today. We are saying happy birthday to... To Brendan Fraser, who was born in 1968. Oh, wow. You may remember him from such films as Encino Man. Oh, he's looking at everything, yeah. <laughs> Probably best known for oh, uh, for Dudley Do-Right. Dud Dudley Do-Right, right? Wasn't he in George of the Jungle, too? Yeah, he's had a very, like, long and a, a career that kind of looks like a cardiograph. 
Like, the first thing I remember him in, I think his first movie was he played Ugg or whatever it was in Encino Man. Man. Yep. I know he did the Mummy movies, and he did a couple of other, I don't want to say prestige, but like blockbuster movies, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. And then he started doing like a bunch of kids' movies, like we just said, George of the Jungle and Dudley Do-Right, and a couple of things like that. Like I said, he's had a very storied career. And then I uh, remember a couple of years ago, like all these pictures of him started going around because he had put on so much weight. And they were like, wow, look how terrible he looks, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, nobody really knew that he would put on the weight for that movie, The Whale. They just thought he put on weight because, look, he's fat and old now. It's like, well, yeah, it's for a movie, you shallow piece of shit. Also, he's like 50. Leave him alone. I remember really liking him in, God, I can't remember the name of the movie now, but it was it was him and Steve Buscemi and Al- Adam Sandler who take over a radio station with squirt guns. Is that Airheads? Airheads, yes. Airheads. Yeah. I saw that in the cinema, and I thought Another that was really, really film. funny. Another prestige film. But that was a good movie. It was a clever film. Yeah. yeah. At the time, I think up to that point, that was the that was the first time I noticed how good of an actor Adam Sandler could be, because sure. he wasn't being like a doofus. He was he toned things down. That was a, that was a good that was a well put together film. I want to see the whale, uh, simply because I heard it's phenomenal, and also I really like that act, uh, that director. That's Darren Aronofsky. Right. Yeah, he did, did uh, Requiem for a Dream. Right. That's. Yes, That's that and guy. The Wrestler, and Black Swan, and Christ on a Cracker, Mama, uh, <laughs> or Mother, or whatever that one move that movie oh, is. Oh yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Mother, else. yes. Mother, yeah, that's something else. But yeah, he's a phenomenal director. I like that guy a lot. I've been meaning to catch the whale. Uh, uh, pun pun intentional. <laughs> All right, before we get on to our worst song ever this week, Jeff, I do have. The uh, the weird holiday for this week. Okay. So our weird holiday for this week, uh, November the 29th, we will be celebrating Chia Pet Day. Hooray for yeah. Chia you Pets. You ever have one? Don't, don't, don't hold back. Have you ever had a Chia Pet? I never had a Chia Pet, Bill. I did. Did you? I did. Somebody, somebody got me the Chia Head for Christmas mm-hmm. one year, like as a joke. Nice. And uh, I I must be the worst person on the planet because I, I couldn't do it. I f***ed it up. I don't know what happened. My dad used to threaten to get those for us for Christmas uh, as his, like, well, I'm going to get you guys all Chia Pets was his sort of approach to them. But I he never he never pulled the trigger on that because that would have required, like, thinking ahead by a couple of days. <laughs> you, why think ahead on a couple of days when you can go buy scratch tickets instead? Which is what he would do. Right, right. Um, but no, we never we never had a chip. They used to advertise those things relentlessly on late night TV. Do you remember yep. did you ever watch Night Flight? What well, used to be on USA Network, it was like a mo- it was like a cult movies and music videos and weird ass yeah, stuff. Yeah, with like Captain USA was the host or something yeah, like that. Yeah, right? and inevitably in every hour there would be two Chia Pet ads in their ad in their ad blocks, uh, all the way through the show. It was really funny. You could spot you could yeah. spot them coming a mile away, yeah. Yeah, I just remember that like we used to make jokes if somebody had like very curly hair, we used to say they had a chia head. Yes. And then they actually started selling chia, chia heads. Chia heads, yep. Chia chia. Yep. That's the worst gift ever. Not to be confused with. 
the worst song ever. Oh, Jeff, why did you, why, why, why do you do this to me? Okay. Why do you screw up my Spotify algorithm? So, yes, and I, I do that because, like you, I have gone back to the gym. Okay. Yes. And now that I'm at the gym, I have a, it's like having a pipeline right into the worst song ever archives. <laughs> because at the gym that I go to on particular, I go Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, every Monday and Wednesday, Friday, it's like the same 40 songs that are on when I'm there. I don't hear all right. 40. Because I wear earbuds when I'm doing my workout, but as I'm getting dressed and as I'm getting dressed at the end, I'm listening to the ambient music. And I heard this song every day, every day that I went to the gym for six sessions. And it started just as I started to get dressed and I couldn't get dressed fast enough to get away from it before it ended and it's four minutes long. And what song are we talking about today, Jeff? So before I tell you the song... And the artist, let me preface this by saying metal is a big tent. We can fit a lot of different subgenres in the metal tent. And if you're in the metal tent, we're all pals. So I'm going to say that first because when I say the name of the song, a lot of our metalhead friends are going to go, What do you mean? That song's awesome! <laughs> because it's not. And it's the song I Apologize by Five Finger Death Punch. Which on first listen was like, okay, I can like let this go. This is like sounds like Nickelback, but not quite as polished. And by the sixth time, I thought maybe I should just stay on the treadmill for another half an hour and maybe I'll miss it. <laughs> and now I see clearly all these times I simply stepped aside. I watched but never really listened as the whole was actually my first known exposure to Five Finger Death Punch. I could very well have heard these guys, you know, in my travels, but this type of music is not something that I seek out on my own. Right. I used to date a girl that was really into this music, so I inevitably probably heard it, but I think these guys started, what, 2005? Yes. All right, I dated her in like 07. There's a chance I had to hear it, but I don't. I don't remember. I got a couple of thoughts about this band because okay. I listened to not just this, but some other songs. As did I. This, yes. Yeah. This band, I now understand why people get so pissed off at Ghost because <laughs> Ghost doesn't sound like you like you think they're going to sound. Right. And the band, the name, Five Finger Death Punch. And if you look at the album cover, you look at the artwork, you look at the guys in the band, I already had an idea of what they were going to sound like. And they didn't sound like this. No. This song in particular here, I Apologize, which, by the way, apologize, Jeff, for <laughs> making this our song. Yeah, I apologize, Bill. Yeah, you have, no, you have to say it. I apologize! No, it has to be like this. I apologize! Like with an <laughs> extra weird um, and unnecessary emphasis on the wrong syllables. Yeah. But the, like, like the emotion does the emotion that he sings in doesn't match the emotion of the lyric either. And this is also a logical evolution of the power ballad. Yes. Like a couple of weeks ago, we did the um, Steel Heart there, I'll Never Let You Go. Yep. 
that was like a motive and love was the emotion that they're talking about. <laughs> and this power ballad isn't about love. It's about, I guess, regret. I don't know. I didn't listen to the lyrics so, outside, of, outside of I apologize. Lyrically, the song is about a guy who feels bad that he didn't do stuff and is outside of the world, sort of, but not really. That's legit. That's what the song's about. It's if uh, Behind Blue Eyes had been written by like a really intelligent cat. <laughs> that's kind of what it would be. I imagine that this song, and songs like this one, because in the metal tent, you have like new metal, and this kind of straddles into new metal. And you've got sort of poppy metal, which is kind of straddles into new metal too. And then there's alt metal, which is like this. And, and all of these bands all spring from the, the same thing. They all come from the same sky on as Pantera. So there's like Pantera, <laughs> Disturbed, Avenged Sevenfold, Hell Yeah, These Guys, even Nickelback and, and others, right? And they all have this very similar I guess you could corn. throw Seven Dust in that. Seven in that Dust, too, Corn, yeah, yeah uh, all of them. And uh, Stained. And they all have that same sort of like super emotive musical stylings. And yeah. it focuses a lot on like, it's like ballads for dudes. It's like dude ballads, <laughs> you know? And as I was listening to this and some of the other tracks, I'm like, yeah, I can see this is the, this is the scene that this picture paints in my head. There's a guy, he's, he's in the parking lot at the local grocery store. Cause here in New Hampshire at the grocery store, you can buy beer. Right, he's in the grocery store yep. parking lot. You can hear the music vibrating from inside of his Jeep, which is lifted, and has like the extra lights on the top, and and has those like angry eyeball lights in the front. And this song is rattling through, and he's sitting in the car because he's singing along with it because he's really upset because he doesn't want to go back in the store, but he has to because when he went in to buy his beer, he forgot to buy the alcoholic seltzer for his girlfriend. And she's going to yell at him when he gets home. <laughs> and that's what this song is like about. His life is hard. He's on the outside. It's difficult to do. I can't please anybody. Oh, my God. I forgot to get the White Claw. Yeah, I apologize for not picking up your Mike's Hard Lemonade, <laughs> exactly. Yes, exactly. She's going to uh, yell at I me apologize! again. <laughs> she's going to yell at me again. I got to be more sincere yep. about this. And and that's so, the other the other part of this that I, that I find incredibly irritating is I don't believe any of the there's absolutely no sincerity in this at all this is like somebody lying to you right through <laughs> four minutes of this song you don't apologize for anything you're full of baloney i did my little research about five finger death punch and let me say before i get started on the mini biography which is going to be super short that much like ghost where their image is a lot more badass than their musical presentation even though i do like ghosts but i'm not really a metal guy so i'm i can be forgiven there Five Figure Death Punch, their name is a lot more badass than their music. I agree. Five Finger Death Punch, I know that from like the Kill Bill movies, but I guess that's a lot more commonplace in some other, like, I don't know, maybe Bruce Lee movies. Who knows? And, and, and well, yes and no. So it's funny because, like, I don't know where they got the Five Finger Death Punch from. So there's like this weird mix of kung fu movie stuff and rock and roll and hip, hip hop stuff. That has happened happened in the 1990s. There's the Wu-Tang Clan, which is a rap band. All their guys take their yep. names from kung fu movies. And these guys kind of do too. And I originally thought that this was because of the Kill Bill thing. But I've yep. watched Kill Bill since, well, not since listening to this crummy song, but in the in the relatively recent past. And, yep. and the technique in that is called the five-finger exploding heart technique. 
And it's oh. not even called Five Finger Death Punch. And I was like, well, what, did they just like get, hear about Kill Bill from somebody? And like, yeah, that's a great name for a song. You know, and not uh, that fact. <laughs> Write that down. Or it was some other kung fu movie name that I haven't seen. And I've seen a ton of kung fu movies. So sure. who knows? The mainstay of the band is the, don't ask me for names, but like the, the guitar player. Right. He's been with the band for the whole run. And the lead singer has been in the band for the whole run, except for this like weird bit on tour where he quit the band. He was he said he wasn't drunk, but he was hungover. He like quit the band like on stage. Yep. And then like, you know, walked off. And they finished the tour with somebody else filling in the vocals. Right. Because if they didn't finish the tour, if they broke the contracts. You know, you'll never play in this town again, kind of. Thing. Right, right, right. Yeah, you definitely won't get the same venues. When yeah, you try to tour so again. We, they finished up the tour with that other guy doing vocals, and from all accounts, he did very well. And then when they got back to the states, they were like, "Hey, dude, uh, how about you don't quit the band? That's a better idea." And you know uh, what he said? So, you know, you know what that guy said too. He said, "I apologize." Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you beat me to it. Yes. Yeah. So it wasn't very sincere, uh, though. I don't believe. And then the. The rest of the band has been a revolving cast. Uh, one of the guitar players actually used to play in Wasp at one point, but that could be anybody. And I think then I another guy in Wasp was in- for a little while, to be honest yeah. with you. <laughs> and then another guy was in the band, the Bullet Boys. You remember them? I do not. Oh, the Bullet Boys came out in the eighties. They were one of the that group of bands. Like, you remember how Kingdom Come was kind of like, oh, they sound just like Led Zeppelin. Well, Bullet Boys was like Van Halen. Oh, okay. Like the lead singer, yeah, the, the Smooth Up India was their song. About oh. as subtle as a Prince song. Yes. Uh, at any rate. Um, <laughs> yes, the But the drummer was song. another one. The other, uh, the drummer was another person that was, was the only other mainstay, but he had to quit because of back problems. Right. He's actually like a cop now. Oh, well, like, okay. Imagine that, getting arrested by the drummer. Weren't you in five-finger death punch? <laughs> I pulled you over because you ran that stop sign. I apologize. Is that gonna work? Huh? Huh? What if I was more sincere when I sang it? You know? <laughs> this sort of like new metal slash alt metal. It has a lot of subtext in like introspection because they don't want to be like Maiden. They don't want to be like Judas Priest, or they don't want to be like Ghost. They don't want to be like Opeth. They want to like. There's an audience for this. I think a lot more sort of down to earth and radio friendly. Does that make any sense to you when I say that? Yeah. There is an audience for this and its name isn't Bill. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't think it's Jeff either. It's not. You know what strikes me weird though is the audience for this seems to be like one generation behind us, we'll say. Yeah. But, and that's a big capital B, but everybody in this band is our age. Yep. They're all plus or minus five years of us. Yep. Yeah, I noticed that too, and that's a, a savvy business decision on their part. Even yep. even back, you know, twenty years ago when they started this band, they were just at the right age to be like mature rockers. And I think that that is one of the hallmarks of the sort of alt metal milieu, the alt metal world, right? Is they tend to do be older artists, like the guys in Disturbed are all older, the guys in Slipknot are all older, the guys in Corn are all. I think they're older than me. Um, yeah. And it just seems to be part of the the thing. And when you're an older artist, I think you're doing a lot less of like the Def Leppard, White Snake, etc. type metal, where your audience is predominantly considerably younger women, and it's more like 
you know. Nobody wants to see a 55-year-old guy up there talking about, like, the sweet surrender. It's like, we're calling the police. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. That's why Kiss doesn't <laughs> do Christine 68 anymore. Um, yep. <laughs> you know, why I brought this song here is it is relentlessly dirgy. Even when it breaks into the guitar solo in the second, the beginning of the third part of the song, it, yep. it feels like that is just bolted in from some other song. And doesn't fit the rest of the the tune, and I'm like, I I'm, I like metal, so I'm in tune to see the way the songs sort of are structured, and this one feels yep. like it was built by, it felt like it was built by an algorithm. We need this. We need this. My, we need this. Yeah, yeah. It does sound like a, a a bingo card, right? My big issue with the song was you're saying I apologize. You sound like you're the one that's mad at me. Like you're screaming I apologize, and I feel like I. I should be apologizing at this. Did I do something wrong? Why are you yelling at me? What the beauty is, and and this is where the audience for this music goes like, but it's more clever than that, Bill. It's he's saying that to himself. He's apologizing to himself. If you read the lyrics, it's he's singing it to himself. I can't be bothered. And and, and <laughs> I, I was bothered. Like, I listened to this song a bunch of times today. Thank you very much. I'll never hear it again, hopefully. It is very much him saying, like, the equivalent of saying, like, I'm okay. I'll be fine. I should be a better person. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And gosh darn it, people like me. All right. I literally have spent more time with Five Figure Death Punch on this episode (laughs) than I have in the entirety of my life. And uh, that's enough. So before we wrap up the show, I do have the answer to my very popular and always well-received trivia question. Hey, Jeff. Oh, man. All right. Here we go. Box set. So... What was the first box set? Who was the artist and what was the name of it? I'll be more than happy to accept what year it came out to. The first box set. I've been thinking about this not at all for the whole show. (laughs) You know what? I'm going to throw my uh, handkerchief down onto Led Zeppelin only because a whole radio station built its playlist around that box set. Nope. That is an excellent guess. And I believe the Led Zeppelin box set was either number two or number three. Ah. But the first box set to come, uh, to come out was the Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band Live 5. Ah. Yep. It was a five-album live album, uh, you know, a five-record live album. I don't even think CDs were available at that point. Right. It came out in, 19, in November 10th, 1986. So it had like... Five songs on is what you're saying, <laughs> based, based yeah, on their yeah, own live, yeah. right? It's one, it's you got to flip the song over halfway through to get to the second side. Yeah, I remember what's his nuts there. Um, our English teacher, Rogers, George Rogers. Yep, he had this box and he was a big Bruce Sixty fan, and he had the uh, the album in his classroom, and he used to play it. I'm glad. Okay. I- Glad I had transferred out to a different English class by then. Oh, that's right. You weren't in that class with me. Yes. Think yourself lucky. (laughs) I I do. Uh, That's a story for another episode. It is indeed. All right. But that is going to wrap up the show for this week. We will see you back here in seven days. Say goodnight, Jeff. Goodnight, Jeff. Bye, guys. Bye, everybody. A special shout out to James Costa for our theme music. Thank you for listening to Twibbly, or this week was way better last year. You can find us or message us over on Facebook or Instagram or the hot new social media app that I just made up called Spackler. That's grouped with two O's and two P's by looking for Twibbly. Don't forget to like and subscribe. And also, don't sell all your stuff and climb to the top of a mountain waiting for the end of the world. I mean, the numbers add up and all, but we'd never tell you to do that.